So how would you answer that question? Would we live a more fulfilling life if we gave our time and our talents and our treasures to others? Would our life be more full, more alive? I think most of us would answer that question, yes. Of course, our life would be more full, our life would be more alive if we gave our time, our money, our resources to others. Most of us know that to be givers of others is to have a full life. Most of us know that to be true, but it's just hard to do. It's hard to spend more money on others than ourselves. It's hard to live for the line instead of the dot. It's hard to live out the truth that God owns everything. That everything we think we own is actually on loan. It's hard to live with the Benjamins. It's not always easy to give our time and our money to others. And that's why we're doing this series entitled Living with the Benjamins. Because it's hard to live out the truth. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Anybody ever hear that phrase before? It's better to give than it is to receive. Anybody know who said that? That that is recorded as saying those words. Anybody know who that is? That is... Jesus. Jesus said those words. Anybody know where Jesus said those words, where those words are recorded from the words of Jesus? Anybody know where that could be found? It's not in the Gospels. It's in Acts chapter 20. And if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Acts chapter 20 because it has this common phrase that we hear or that we see in a bumper sticker on a refrigerator magnet, but it's this incredible truth that it's more blessed to give than receive. That if we want to have this fulfilled, fulfilling, fully alive life, we've got to learn how to give. And I'm really excited to look at this passage of Scripture with you this morning because there is this profound truth in the, in the context. And really, in order to understand that phrase that we're familiar with, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive, we've got to understand where that phrase came from. It actually came from the book of Acts. And if you remember, Paul, much of Paul's missionary journeys were in the book of Acts. And, and, and Paul, this apostle, this guy that came to faith in Jesus, is traveling out through Asia Minor. And, and he's sharing the good news of Jesus. And he gets to this place called Ephesus. And he talks to the people of Ephesus about who Jesus is. And they respond. They believe in Jesus. They accept Jesus. They trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And then he mentors them. He grows them up in the faith. And then he goes to these other places around that part of the world. And then he gets arrested. And now he's on his way to Rome. And the passage that we're going to read are the last words that he shares with these friends in Ephesus, the elders of the Ephesian church. And they're the last words that he gives these friends of his that he loves, that he mentored, that he brought to Christ. He shares with them these last words. Now, what would you do if you were in Paul's shoes? I mean, what would your last words be to your family or your friends? If you knew that you had a limited amount of time on earth, what would your last words be? They'd probably be words that you would want your friends and family to remember. They would probably be very important words. Probably words that you maybe said in the past, but you wanted to make sure that they would remember them in the future. And that's what Paul says to his friends, people that he loves, these Ephesians. He writes down, he speaks to them these last words in Ephesians chapter 20, verse 32. And if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to that. And, and the words will also be on the screen. I'd just like us to stand together and read these last words. Let's stand together. Read these last words that Paul says to the Ephesians as he is preparing to die. Let's read them together. Now I commit to you, God, 
and to the word of his grace. Among all who are sanctified, I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we might help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. And then they all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them the most was his statement that they would never see his face again. And then they accompanied him to the ship. Please have a seat. These are Paul's last words. These are the last words that he says to the people that he loves. And right there in the middle are these famous words that many of us have heard. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. But in order to understand, internalize, and apply that tremendous truth to our lives, we've got to understand the context. We've got to understand where this phrase came from and the context for it. And Paul begins... This paragraph of his speech with this phrase, I commit to you the words of grace. See, if there's one thing that I want you to remember, if there's one thing that I want you to remember that I've taught you, that I want you to bring with you after I leave this earth, is this message of grace. That we're saved by grace, not by works. I commend to you this life-changing message of grace. It will build you up. It will provide for you this inheritance of eternal life. Paul says, believe in the message of grace. Those are pretty good words to remember, aren't they? Those are, those are pretty good words to share with your family and friends, whether they're your last words or any word to share this message of grace, that we are sinners saved by grace, this message of grace. And we might expect that from the Apostle Paul. I mean, ever since the Damascus Road, Paul has been sharing this message of grace to everyone he meets. He's sharing that Jesus died in our place, that he paid the price that we couldn't pay. He shares this message everywhere he goes, this message of grace. But then he says this next phrase that many of us may not expect. It's a phrase that is a bit unexpected as your last words that you say to the people you love. In verse 33, Paul says, I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know how these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. I I have not coveted. I haven't been greedy. I haven't longed for other people's gold or silver or clothes or Possessions. It's a little bit strange to see Paul's last words to be about money, about coveting, about being greedy. He says, I haven't done that. Instead, I've worked with my hands. I provided for the needs of my companions and I provided for the needs of the poor. These are Paul's last words. They're about money. They're about gold. They're about materialism. They're about possessions. And although it might seem a little bit strange that those are Paul's last words, they're not new words. Paul often called people to live generous lives. 
See, what Paul is saying to these people that he loves, he says, if you are really people saved by grace, not by works, then you're going to give to the needs of others. If you are really people that have this spiritual inheritance, then you're not going to be concerned about your worldly possessions. See, if you are really people that believe in the gospel of grace, then you're going to give freely to others. Paul says, I want you to live like me. I don't want you to be overly concerned about your stuff. I don't want you to be overly concerned about yourself. I want you to give, to respond to the gospel of grace by giving to the needs of others. I don't want you to be greedy. I don't want you to covet. I want you to provide for the needs of the poor. And it's interesting to me that Jesus says these exact same words throughout the gospels. Specifically in Luke chapter 12, Jesus says, watch out for greed. More than any other topic except the the kingdom of God, Jesus talked about wealth and possessions of money. He says, watch out, be on guard, be careful for greed. Why? Because greed's hard to see. Of all the temptations that we face, greed is hard to identify in our hearts. I mean, we know when we lie. I mean, we know when we steal. We know when we lust or commit adultery, and those are obvious but, to, but we don't always see greed in our own hearts. I mean, it's easy to see greed in other people's lives. I mean, look at that car, look at that house, or look at those jeans. It's easy to see greed in other people's lives, but greed is hard to see in the mirror. It's hard to see greed in our own heart. That's why Paul says, I haven't coveted. That's why Jesus says, watch out for greed, because it's hard to see coveting. It's hard to see greed in our own hearts. See, coveting is not wanting wealth or possessions. It's wanting it too much. Coveting is not wanting a home or a car or clothes. It's wanting a home or a car or clothes more than other things, more than God. Coveting is is excessive worry about your possessions or your stuff or your things. Coveting is being overly stressed out and not trusting in God as you think about your finances. Coveting is longing or needing things to feel good about yourself, to feel alive, to, to fill your heart. Coveting is find your worth and value in things rather than God. It's an idol. Paul says, I haven't coveted. Jesus says, don't be greedy. Don't covet. But it's hard to see that temptation, that sin in our own hearts, isn't it? Nobody's here saying, you know, I'm greedy. You know, it's hard to see that. That's why Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart is. That's what we talked about last week. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. See, where we spend our money, how we live with the Benjamins says much about what we love. So you see, if you want to know if I love God, you don't have to ask me how much Bible I've memorized or how my prayer life is. You just got to look at my pocketbook and then you'll know what I love. See, where we spend our money says much about what we love. And it's not just where we spend our money. It's the ease for which money moves out of our hands. See, money is not our idol. Money often points to where our idols might be. It's not just where we spend our money, but how easy is it for us to spend money on certain things? Meaning if it's easy for you to spend money on your kids, your kids' stuff, your kids' clothes, your kids' activities, then, then your children might be an idol. That might be a place where you find yourselves, your sense of worth and value and acceptance on how your kids perform. If it's easy to spend money on clothes or shoes or appearance, then, then appearance or other people's opinion of you might be an idol. 
It might be a temptation of yours, your, the approval of others rather than God. If it's easy for you to spend money on, 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 on hobbies like fishing or hunting or entertainment, then pleasure might be an idol for you. If it's easy for you to spend money, that money isn't the idol, but it points to where your idols might be. A couple of weeks ago, I was at Dave's Sports Shop. And, uh, and I, I, um, I serve as a hockey coach here in Maple Grove. And, and I, well, I found how easy it was for me to buy hockey equipment. I mean, I'm buying skates. I'm buying apparel. I'm, I, I, I could have bought a lot of stuff at Dave's Apparel. And it wasn't just because I love to coach and play hockey, but there's this underlying idol of other people's approval, of wanting people to like me. That's that underlying. See, money isn't the idol. But it points to where your idol might be. And the ease for which we spend our money is an indicator of our hearts. And, and Paul says to us, I did not covet. Jesus says, don't be greedy. That's why it's all about your heart. He says, I don't want you to look at other things or other people. I want you to find your worth and identity in me. So Paul says, instead of coveting, Instead of being greedy, instead of hoarding, Paul says to the people that he loves, give, give. Break the power of greed by giving to others. Why? Why do we give? Because it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. It's more fulfilling to give to others than just to hoard for yourself. It's better. It's more fun to give than it is to receive. Jesus said this. He says, remember the words of our Lord Jesus himself. He says, remember, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. See, the most important word in that verse is the word remember. Because it's so easy to forget. Isn't it? It's so easy to forget that it's better to give than it is to get. It's so easy to forget because we have all these commercials, all these things that we want, all our needs, wants, and wishes. But Jesus says, Paul says, remember, it's more fun. It's more blessed. It's better to give than it is to get. A couple Christmases ago, I was talking to my kids about what they wanted for Christmas. And it was kind of fun. We were driving in the minivan and we were talking about things that they wanted, like an Xbox. And, and they wanted an American Girl doll or the Wii. And they were talking about all these things. And I said, well, what are the things that you want to give to others? Give to your family, your friends. And they're talking about some of the things that they want to give. And I asked them this question, is it better to give or to get? And he says, Dad, it, it's better to give. But it's much more exciting to get. Because it's fun to get. It's fun to open up presents on Christmas. I mean, and there's nothing wrong with getting. It's kind of fun. It's exciting. But it's better. It's more blessed. It has more of a kingdom impact on the world when we give. When we give to others, Jesus gives this profound principle, this profound financial truth. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. I want to show you a clip of a story that we looked at a couple of series ago. It's a story about this people that live out this principle of giving. They experience the blessing of giving to others. It's a wonderful story. I'd like you to take a look at this story now. You know how God sometimes speaks to you out of the blue and asks you to do something sort of random? Well, that's exactly how I felt one Sunday when I was asked to pick up a card with a name on it for a pastor appreciation gift. 
God just showed up and told me he wanted to do something special for this guy, and somehow I would be involved. I didn't know what it was, but I knew it had to be something more than the $25 gift card I was thinking about. At that moment, I knew I was about to be pushed outside of my comfort zone. Boy, I had no idea. Two days later, I had this doctor appointment, and my wife was with me. It ended early, and since we are rarely without any of our five kids, I said, hey, let's have some lunch together. We are still new to the area, so after lunch we decided to shop some, and then head back to the car. As we turned around, there he was, this guy with his wife, the one who God had just told me days before that he wanted to do something for. And I'm thinking, I really don't know these people, but I know that God said something special was going to happen. So we talked about stuff at church where we had just heard Dave Ramsey speak. They talked about how they had been working for nine years to get out of their debt, but that they had $10,000 more to go, and it felt like this huge rock in their life. He said, as soon as we're out of debt, we want to adopt. But we promised our kids that they could have a trampoline first, and then we would adopt. So we said our goodbyes, and I was thinking, thank you, God. I get it. I know exactly what you want me to do. We got in the car and I was so excited. I said to my husband, I know what we need to do. Let's go buy them a trampoline. Uh, well, uh, why don't we just give them $10,000? What? Are you serious? Honey, we can't just give people money like that. Money changes things and does weird stuff to people. Why can't we give them money? People have done that for me and it was okay. Besides, we have it. Listen, all I know is that when I heard them speak, I heard God say in a very clear way, take away their debt. I had to think about it for a second. Giving away $10,000 had never crossed my mind. I really wrestled wondering what God wanted us to do. Here I am with five children. It wasn't like there was a lot of extra money sitting around, and my husband worked so hard for our family. But God revealed to me that though I had plans to make home improvements and invest in this literal earth, He wanted me to make an eternal investment for His kingdom. I knew then what we had to do and began to get anxious to follow God's call. So we called him up and said, Hey, we want to come by and talk to you about something. We promise it will only take a minute. When we drove up, though, we could tell they weren't sure about what to think of us. Are we going to sell them something or what? So I just kind of blurted out, Lance, Amy, we don't really know how to say this, but we just want to give you $10,000. We told them that there are no strings attached, that God just wanted to bless them. Oh, and we also told them, don't act weird around us around church and don't tell anyone it was us. As I stood there, I'm thinking, wow, what a tremendous thrill and total joy. Not just to be giving someone money, but to play a part and be included in the secret plans of the God of this universe. The giving part of the story was fun, but that was just the beginning. In less than a year... God led Lance and Amy to adopt a beautiful baby girl named Malaya. And because God wove Lance and Amy's life into ours, we welcomed our ninth child, 
Olivia Grace, born April 21, 2008, into our family. But this story, this just keeps getting better. And to think, I was thinking of a $25 gift card. more blessed to give than it is to receive. Isn't that what you want to be? Isn't that what you want to do? Isn't that a fulfilling life to give, to bless, to have this eternal impact on the lives of others? I know that's what I want. That's the person that I want to be. I want to become a generous giver and give to the needs of others. But how can we do that? How can we? Because it's hard. It's easy to focus in on the dot. It's hard to see the line. It's hard to give ourselves away. How can we stay motivated and intentional to give to the needs of others? See, there's a couple of options to motivate us to give to the needs of others. I mean, we could open up the scriptures and read, you know, God says right here that to whom much is given, much is expected. And we could guilt and shame and and force people to open up their pocketbooks and give. And we could probably get a couple dollars. But we could manipulate shame and try to get people to give. Or we could look at the needs of the world. We could look at the needs of of water in Africa or food in Haiti or shoes around the world. And we could say, look at all the needs of the world. And we could appeal to our emotions and say, we got to give. Or we could appeal to our minds and say, just look at the numbers. You know, you could have, you could invest in the here and now or eternity. You can store for yourselves treasures in heaven or use your worldly wealth to invest in the things ahead. You could just store for your treasures here on earth or in heaven. Do the math. There's more value in giving. So we could, we could appeal to our hearts. We could appeal to our minds. And I think there's value in understanding both of those areas of motivation. But I, I think we would be wise to do what Paul did. We'd go back to this message, these last words that he gives to these Ephesians. And he commends to them one word. Grace. The gospel of grace, that God gave us what we needed the most and deserved the least, the gift of his one and only son. The Bible says that God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were still separated, going our way, Christ died for us. Christ died for you. Christ died for me. Christ died for us. And the question we must answer is why? Why did God send Jesus to die? What was God lacking? Here we have this perfect triune God in perfect communion with himself, with all the riches of heaven. What was he lacking? What would motivate God? He had everything he needs to be God. He was perfect in in, in communion with the the Son and the Spirit. He's all-knowing, everlasting. What is the one thing that God did not have in heaven? It's you. It's me. It's us. We are the one thing that God did not have. And by coming down to earth, Jesus gave up the riches of heaven. By going to the cross, Jesus gave up communion with his heavenly father. By dying in our place, he gave up control and dominion over the world. See, Jesus paid it all so that we might worship him so that we might love him with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. And do you know what that makes us? 
extremely valuable. We are more valuable to Jesus than all the riches of heaven. We are more valuable to Jesus than perfect communion with his heavenly father. We are more valuable to Jesus than total dominion over the universe because he gave all that up so that you, so that I, so that we might worship and adore him, so that we might spend eternity with him. See, we are God's treasure. We are God's prize. We are the one thing that he did not have that he was willing to send his son to die in our place so that we might worship and love him. And see, when we see the sacrifice that Jesus made, all those things that we sometimes find our worth and value in our stuff or our things or our esteem, they slowly fade away in the light of his glory and grace. See, it's grace that changes us. It's grace that motivates us. It's grace that moves us from hoarding to living lives of generosity. It's grace that changes us. We will never learn to live generous lives until we learn to attach our giving to Christ's sacrifice. Until we understand and internalize that we are God's treasures That he gave it all so that we might have a relationship with him and spend eternity with him. We are the one thing that God did not have, that Jesus was willing to die for. And when we embrace that reality, when we embrace that Jesus died for me, we want to live for him. When I once again come back to being an understanding that I am his treasure, that I am more valuable to Jesus than all the riches of heaven that I am more valuable to Jesus than perfect communion with his heavenly father, that I'm more valuable to Jesus than total dominion over the world, my heart melts and I receive the message of grace and I'm changed. I can remember a time not that long ago when I when I heard that, you know, I was doing things wrong and God was out to get me and it was hard and I, and I was listening to messages that weren't in the scripture. But then I heard the voice of Jesus. I heard about God's grace and forgiveness. And I responded with generosity. And I gave him my life at at 18 years old. You see, but our giving of our lives, our giving of our resources are always in response to God's grace. Our generosity is response to God's gift of grace. Because that's where Paul gave his last message, his last words to his friends in Ephesus, he says, I commend to you the message of grace. Believe it. Receive it. Internalize that message and live that message out. Don't covet. Don't be greedy. But give yourself away. See, that's the message. That's the gospel. We are changed by God's grace. And, and Paul says to us, live out this gospel. Because it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. It's more full. It's more alive. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And as the band comes up here, we are going to prepare ourselves for communion. You see, communion is a time for us to reflect upon the incredible sacrifice that Christ made. It's a time to reflect upon the price that he paid to deem us his children. Communion is a time to repent from hoarding or consumption or greed or coveting other sins. And it's a time to return to the gospel of grace. Because Jesus paid it all. He gave up the riches 
of heaven. He gave up communion with his heavenly Father. He gave up dominion over the world, the universe, for us. He paid the price. He gave it all for you. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he loves me. That's how much he loves us. And as we soak in and embrace this message of grace, we're free to give ourselves, to give our resources, to give our stuff for the needs of others. See, communion is a time to remember how valuable you really are and the sacrifice that Jesus made on your behalf. It's a time to soak in God's amazing grace and how we're loved. I don't know about you, but I need to hear this message over and over and over again, that we are loved by God just as we are and not as we should be. And to embrace the God, the gospel of grace. Communion is this time to repent, to reflect, and to receive another glimpse of God's amazing grace. And as our leaders come and we prepare for communion, this is an open invitation for all of you that have accepted Christ as Lord, as your personal Savior. To those of you that have received this message of grace and internalized it. But if you're still here today and you're not quite sure if you have received God's grace and trusted Him as your personal Lord and Savior, this, this could be your moment to say, I believe and I receive God's love. I receive Christ as my personal Savior. See, the leaders are going to prepare the elements and communion is a time for you just to come up whenever you're ready and receive the bread and the cup. And the bread and the cup are just a reminder of the sacrifice that Christ made. Bread is, symbolizes the, the body of Christ that was broken for you. This body that was broken, that was, that was given for us so that we might experience eternal life, abundant life, a fulfilled life. And this cup represents the the blood of Christ. It's the cup of the new covenant. It's a cup that we remember that, that, that Christ shed on our behalf so that we might have a relationship with him that lasts forever. A relationship that is full of abundant, eternal life. A fulfilled life. An eternal life. See, Paul's message to those Ephesians, Paul's message to those that, that he loved, he says, if you really believe this gospel of grace, then you're going to live a radically generous life. And that's the life that he wants you to live. So as we come to the table this morning, let us repent from hoarding and coveting and let us receive the gospel of grace. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And we thank you for the truth that we are your prize. We are your treasure that you gave it all so that we might know you. And as we come to the table, I ask that you would speak, Holy Spirit, to each one of our hearts to remind us of your unfailing love, that we would just turn away from all that other stuff that so easily consumes us. And we would drink you. And that we would eat you and be found satisfied in you. So God, I pray for those that may feeling distant from you or may have never trusted Christ. It's a simple prayer. and say, God, I believe. I know I'm a sinner. I accept Jesus as my Savior. If that's your prayer, you're free to come.
And so, Lord, we commit this time to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. So please come. Come when you're ready. Spend time alone. Come with your family. Come with your friends. But just come down the center aisle. Come to one of us as leaders and we'll distribute the elements.